The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Metagamers Anonymous, program dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and mostly related material and a presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. My name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Vanessa. I'm Brian. And I'm John. And this is episode number... I forgot to look it up. I have no fucking clue. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Well, nobody else brought it up either, now did you? Let's see how you job. are. Um, it, it'll be on the front of wherever they're reading it. It'll, it'll be on the thing, on the front of the thing. 288. Oh, wow. And we're going to call oh, this episode just something off the top of my head: the spicy loose meat folded sandwich Tuesday. Off <laughs> the top of your head, completely You're random. Welcome. Now I'm crazing a spicy loose meat folded sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, um, it, I'm glad I made it through the intro because it feels like it's been a year and a half since I did one of these. And it has um, been a minute. I apologize to everyone. It's been a busy fucking month. And it's not gotten any better. And at some point, we're just like, you know what? It's game day. I'm going to lock everybody in a room and make you all sit down and record with me. By the way, I still have to pee. Can I go, please? Can I go? No, nope, absolutely it. not. <laughs> I, got, I got puppy pads over here somewhere. <laughs> puppy pads. <laughs> yes. Dude. Uh, no, I mean, seriously, it's been a minute. I don't even, uh, I don't even know. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know how to talk about everything that's happened since then. But taxes. What? What? what are yeah, we doing? yeah, that, that what? is definitely oh, been part of it for you guys. Sorry. What? What? <laughs> uh, a couple things I probably should mention right off the top. Uh, one, if you are a patron on our Patreon, I know that it hasn't been super active lately because there hasn't been a lot of content coming out on the show, and we haven't done much else with it. Uh, I'm uh, intending to change that. I am between jobs at the moment, so that always makes me feel like I can change things when really I just find that I'm still super fucking busy all the time anyway, but I do have some thoughts, ideas, and plans for how to do that, and I will be sharing some of that coming up. And I I think everybody will like it or won't like it, and you'll be quick to tell me because you guys are really good at that. Not a problem. Uh, The other thing, of course, is TsunamiCon. I'm getting a ton of questions about it. I definitely understand why, because it's already April, and we don't have a plan uh, out there in the community. Out, we haven't talked about it. And uh, that's a big deal, of course, because, you know, by now, usually we have something going. And uh, this has been a really kind of challenging period for us. Last year's attendance was not what we'd hoped because of, you know, the post-pandemic situation. The venue I was working with didn't want to pick us up for another year, um, which is fine. I, you know, completely understand they were giving me a ridiculous deal because we'd been working on a good deal prior to the pandemic that got interrupted and they felt like honoring that deal. But in truth, everybody's prices have skyrocketed. So they honored a deal they would never have been able to offer and will not be able to offer in succeeding years. And that's perfectly understandable. So we're shopping around again for a venue. I do have potential contracts in the works. We're working with some uh, possible options in Wichita and we will get that sorted out hopefully within the next couple of weeks. And then we'll be able to make an official announcement and get rolling on the entire promotional process. You know, start the start start the rolling out the early VIG sales and um, early vendor registration, and then you know plan out. We'll probably do a Kickstarter this year because last year taught us that we can't take our funding for granted, <laughs> and so that's a thing. Uh, also, ironically, but not in any way inhibiting us from having a great event. All of our owners now live out of town, obviously myself included, and um, although we have lots of great volunteers who still will help us out on the ground there, 
everybody's super busy. And so it's been really tough to kind of coordinate. But uh, we're, you know, we're working it and we're going to plan to have a great show this year. I don't know what weekend it's going to be or where it's going to be. But, you know, this isn't the first time we've been in this situation. We've had to shop around at the last minute before. We've still pulled out of our ass and had a good show each time. And I, f- I feel really, you know, really happy about it. Even though, like, attendance, I said, was down last year, it wasn't it, it wasn't a bad event by any stretch. Everybody had a good time. We had some great gaming going on. We had some fun events, and I look forward to doing it again. Everybody seems to be looking forward to it. I'm getting a lot of people reaching out asking about that I haven't heard from before, which is nice, particularly vendors, which is always cool, uh, to have more people wanting to come and exhibit or sell their their wares at the show. And that's, that's pretty exciting. So I will, of course, clue everyone in on that as soon as we get the opportunity. And uh, and just kind of stay tuned, you know, to all of our social media outlets and uh, right here to the show, of course, where we try to make our announcements. Uh, If not early, at least, you know, we get it out there and we talk about it a bit. And you you can always check in with us if you've got questions on social media. You can always uh, check in. You can can drop us a line at our email address, which is feedback at prismaticsunami.com. We have a Discord server. It's been a little crickety the last couple of weeks, but that's not actually normal. We try and engage. And uh, if you've got questions or comments or anything you want to talk about, suggestions for the con, suggestions for the program, we definitely appreciate hearing from you. So uh, anything from the peanut gallery that cover everything for that? Put it on a weekend that I know I can get extra time off. Oh, (laughs) I will work on that for you, Vanessa. Uh, you guys need to submit those weekends to me in writing, please. I already had like, um, I was talking to Joe the other day and he said, well, what weekend are you thinking of? Because there's a weekend in there that I'm not going to be available. And I'm like, let me mark that down and I will do my best because, you know, you guys are my prized peoples. You buy the VIG tickets, you're heavily involved in the community, you're on the podcast. I've got nothing but love for you and I want to make sure and return that in spades by making the event accessible to you. That's fair. So extra time off is a a really nice uh, bonus, obviously. (sighs) We will do what we can. I know I already do everything I can to move heaven and earth to make sure that it's not during tax season. (laughs) (laughs) Not during tax season is honestly the biggest thing. Oh my God, you have no idea how many times it's been like, Oh, but I could just do it at the beginning of October. Nobody's got an event that weekend. Not really an option for us. So right. I don't even get my birthday off, which yeah. is at the beginning of October because right around Columbus Day, right? Usually. Which is which yeah. would be a great weekend to be able to do shit because of course it's off it's off on a three day weekend for, for some people anyway. It used to be for me, but you know, what can you do? Yep. Indigenous People's Day. Hmm. Yep. Um I was working after I got out of working for the government, I went to work at a bank, same holidays. It was kinda cool. <laughs> but, and now I may be working in another bank. We'll see what happens. Good luck. I'm still, we're, we're, in, a, we're in a place, we're in a kind of a middling place here in my family. We're uh, in the middle of getting ready to locate. You know, my wife's job is doing what it's doing and that's looking good. So we're uh, in a position where we can kind of pick where we want to live just a little bit. And we're looking at moving to Colorado Springs, which is a you know bigger community where we're at, but still right here close to the mountains, which we are now addicted to. Uh, even if the cost of living is like 800 times what we're used to, particularly in Wichita. Uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> we may live in a, a cardboard box, <laughs> but it'll be a fancy cardboard box because we're good at that. And it will have a studio in the basement. Um, a cardboard yeah. box with a view. That's what we need. That's all we need, man. Email from Tad. Yay. Hey guys and gals, thanks for reading my email at the discussion. All the discussion was really great. To update you, my group finally did take me up on a pitch, because that's what we're talking about. One of the things we're talking about in his last email was pitches. Uh, and we're now three sessions into my fate cyberpunk game, and he wrote this email earlier in the month, so maybe more than three by now. 
went um, went largely the way you described, though they did prompt me for some of the important things you mentioned. I briefly described the setting and said a couple of systems I thought might work, and they expressed enough interest for me to start working on a primer. The first primer ended up being me trying to abridge the whole setting right up. It's from an old book, not available in PDF. And that, while interesting, was more than what was needed. Uh, one player told me that what was really needed is what characters would do and a little bit about what cyberpunk is, since it's not a genre he knows much about. Oh. Uh, that prompt made the second primer a lot easier to do. I guess if I were to do a, a pitch after the fact with what I know now, uh, it could look like this. I want to run a cyberpunk game, which is a mix of noir and human-altering technology. That's a really cool way of describing it. I like that. I do uh, like that. In the late 21st century, there are no more nations, just the world-spanning city of Sparta. There's there's an educational technology that you can quickly produce genius-level performance. It has a mysterious downside called data taint. <laughs> he said taint, which is as yet unexplained. <laughs> you play savants, geniuses, who could be best uh, in the world if you were able to afford this very expensive education. How would you get it? What uh, would you do with it? This isn't uh, our Talosaurian cyberpunk or Shadowrun. You aren't career criminals. The central activity is about solving mysteries and things wrong in this world. My goal is to run six to eight sessions. That's pretty good. That's um, and, and that's an interesting point. A lot of, uh, uh, you know, like Shadowrun and everything, you really are career criminals. <laughs> you're, you're doing yeah. jobs. Yeah. yeah. And the cyberpunk genre kind of encourages that anyway, because it's all about the people with power being pretty messed up, right? Well, there's that. The, the classic uh, definition of cyberpunk is um, high tech, low life. So, I mean, that that low life part of it is is meant to be baked into it. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to be career criminals, but um, that that's a, an essential part of the, the genre. Interesting. I'd never given it much thought, but it does seem like most everything you see that's in this genre in general terms. Well, you know, what I would think of as the trappings of the genre anyway is typically revolving around um, a heist or criminal activity or, you know, stuff like Johnny Mnemonic, you know, um, things that are, that are underground, you know. Um, it, that's that's a really fascinating point. I had never really thought about that. I do like the idea of exploring other aspects of that kind of society, of course, mm-hmm. because you could take that a lot of places, just like he's saying there, I think. There's a lot of uh, transhumanist stuff out there, too, that branches right out of there so you get into like what the stuff in altered carbon and things like that where you can move your your uh stack whatever your personality mm-hmm. to another body and that sort of thing really wild stuff transhumanism is is different i i've had a hard time connecting with it altered carbon actually i i haven't read the books i watched the series the first se- season of it part of the second season and I was I was pretty hooked. I was pretty fascinated with the concepts. My wife loves the transhuman stuff. It's something that she really connects with for some reason as a story element. Um, I do like the central ethical questions, mm-hmm. you know, particularly like what, you know, the, the what, especially like quasi-religious questions. What is a soul? You know, how does it apply to the situation? Just like anything where you treat life as something that is technologically manipulatable. Right. You know, it creates that, creates that fundamental question for us, right? Right, right. In that case, are you uh, are you are you actually that person? Another interesting example was the Dollhouse TV show. Do you guys remember that one? Yeah, I think I think Rich watched it. Um, I know we talked about it. Yeah, some. I did. And uh, it was they were making copies basically, you know. And what was fascinating to me was that they would treat like I made a copy of myself so I can get rid of the old one. It wasn't really a transfer of consciousness, right. you know. It was kind of like 
it was literally a copy, right? But they treated it like it was my opportunity to be immortal because because the, the, the indulgence was that I could go ahead and do whatever I wanted, fuck up this body, and then just have a new one and continue with my life over there. And it's like, but your consciousness isn't going with it, right? So it's not you. You're fucking dying at this point, right? I mean, that's... Well, the, the consciousness that ends up in the new body thinks that it's, I mean, it's split, right? So the right. one that... And the old body that's going to die is you when you die. But also, there's the copy of you that's in the new body, and that's you when you live. The, cl- the cloning thing is always like that, right? Like yeah, um, yeah. the sim coding in The Sixth Day, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, where he finds out that he's a clone or whatever. One of them does. And yeah. you know, it's, it's like you you were copied from a particular moment when they took a, like a, they use like that technology, like these things you put over your eyes, and they took like a picture of your brain or something. They took a picture of your personality, everything, your memories. And then they had that available to upload into a new clone. They did that in Ultra Carbon, too. Mm-hmm. And I thought, again, not quite the same person. <laughs> You're, what are you giving up exactly here? But um, humanity. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, Tad's uh, email real quick. It took us a few weeks of discussion to get up and running. What I've ended up with is a street-level game where the PCs include a doctor who's gone broke running a free clinic in the poor ruins of St. Louis, a gearhead who blows all his money on cyberware, an aspiring auteur sim-stim maker. A lot more William Gibson's Necromancer, so heavily copied in most uh, cyberpunk games, than I'd envisioned, but Gibson also inspired me to immediately say yes to an artist PC. I'll need to tell them that, uh, based on the pace so far, I now see probably two arcs of six to eight sessions each. Whoops. Tad's good at that, by the way. <laughs> it's like, I planned this short thing, and it turns into, okay, we'll do it again the next year. We'll do it again the next year. Um, so far, I fear I may have leaned a bit on the indulgent side, but they've been wisely gone to lengths to stay out of combat. <laughs> Lots of good ideas all around. Well worth borrowing. As a footnote, Robin D. Laws wrote a revenge game called The Guy in Reach based on a Jack Vance novel. I probably had uh, more things to respond to, but this episode was so packed, I would have taken I had to take notes, which I couldn't while at work. Uh, we'll see after my second listen. Thanks again, Tad. Um, so thought I'd share that with you guys. Uh, and thanks, Tad. I appreciate that. It's it's. Uh, yeah. I love that you got back to us with details about that because it was a really uh, uh, interesting conversation the first time. And uh, it's good to see that something came of that and that you, uh, it sounds like you put together something cool that you guys are going to have a good time with. Hopefully. Hopefully you are by the time you hear this. It's like, it's like by the time right. this episode gets dropped and you hear this, it's like, no, that game fucking failed three weeks ago. God damn it. It's like, <laughs> oh, I don't want to listen to this shit. Yeah. But yeah, you're talking about the clones and it reminds me of before I got distracted on the game that I'm building now, um, I was I I just got my uh, Paranoia uh, Perfect Edition out. And <laughs> There's another cloning that, switch. That's yep. different. And literally, the clones are set up specifically to lose so much time, so that they don't remember why they got killed or what it was that made them have to get killed. And they become increasingly unstable, right? So, like the further down the clone line you get, the the less um, normal. <laughs> there are no mutants. No, the society is perfect. Right, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. There are no mutants. There mm-hmm. are no secret societies. Everything is perfect. The computer is your friend. Jeez. So here. Uh-huh. Are, are you a commie <sighs> trader? What is going on here? <laughs> that is my... Should I report um, you to the computer? That was the name of my uh, punk band in high school. Um, uh-huh. All right. Well, I'm going to have to shoot you now. <laughs> not the first time. Get over <laughs> so uh, the group I have with me today is my Sunday uh, gaming group. 
And uh, it's actually been kind of a challenge getting this group rolling and, and making it work. And we had a couple people that were with us and sadly dropped out um, due to like life or something. But uh, I think that we ended up with a pretty solid party. We got a good, we got a good core. Kind of surprised me that it worked out that way. It's you know you never can tell because you're not planning for that, right? Yeah. But right. it's a four man uh, party, which is always used to be really stressful for me in a lot of campaigns. Uh, four PCs meant you know things could go wrong really fast. Um, but I have since kind of in recently the last couple three years, especially post pandemic, we're playing online all the time. Really kind of changed my tune about it. We talked about it before. I like smaller groups now that, more than I used yeah. to. You know, not only does everybody get a little more screen time, and I think um, you get a better chance to focus on the development of your character, mm. but uh, the story dynamic is more personal. You know, because in, inevitably, in the six or seven person groups I used to prefer, you had one, at least one, sometimes even two people who just barely ever did anything. You know, they would, even if it wasn't intentional, they'd be the hangers on. They'd be the, the guy that slept in the corner until it was his turn to do something or um, who didn't really, you know, the person who didn't really get involved or engage. Um, what are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> that was for Brian. Uh, you just, everything that, you know, you, you go through to try to make it uh, something everybody can engage with becomes less of a thing when the group gets smaller and everybody feels like they have a chance to be part of what's the going on, you know? And um, this seems to be a good group. I mean, we're still in our infancy and we had some scheduling issues that slowed us down to start. We're still only playing like bi-weekly, which I realize some people that are out there are going to be like, dude, I only play like once every two months. Uh, bi-weekly is, is weird for me because uh, weekly gaming is my standard and uh, the bailiwick of that is that I, I'm accustomed to that pacing when it comes to staying focused on a game and staying in character and making sure everybody's got you know top of the mind awareness or everything that's important. You slow that down too much and you feel like every week is a little or every game session is a little like, okay, now what happened? Wait a minute. Who am I again? What's my motivation? Because you, we're role players, and that's part of the challenge here. Is what's my fucking motivation? And uh, uh, but but again, smaller group, a little more room to develop that and focus on that. So, how do you guys feel about it so far? We're we're doing more of the Burning Sky. Longtime listeners will have heard of this one already because we talked about it for like the first year or two we were on the podcast all the time because it's the campaign we were doing, long winded campaign we were doing. And this time I wanted to start it again because I had a 5e conversion of it that I'd never gotten to run. And we got a little bit into that and decided to change it to Savage Worlds. <laughs> because that that's what you do. That wasn't the only change we made either. But we'll get into that here in a minute. Uh, what do you guys feel about the? How do you guys feel about the story, the campaign so far, the characters, all that stuff? I like Savage Worlds. So far I'm liking the story too, though. <laughs> I, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. But Good time. We're a fun yeah. group, I think. Yeah, it's. It's an interesting story so far. Mind it's, you, the last time I played in this campaign world, I only played for like a minute and a half, and it was near the end. Anyways, that was right before the pandemic. <laughs> it's a technicality, but yeah, that's about right. Uh, see any episode where we talked about that, because if I have to relieve it again right now, I'm just going to cry a lot. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about it, uh, Richard, so those, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that session you're referring to was the very last time I got to play with like Will and Richard, for example. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. Who were part of yeah. our gaming group for years. 
Uh-huh. Um, possibly with James, who's also part of our, you know, just people that, I mean, you yeah. don't hear about them on the show anymore because we don't really do anything together anymore. I'm hoping that they're still gaming and that the lives are going great. But, um, you know, it wasn't a falling out. It was just the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It was just the way Everything things else. went. Yep. Those of us who maintained contact and, uh, you know, kept gaming together were those of us who it was, you know, vital enough to our entertainment, our hobby that we found ways to continue doing it online almost immediately. And but, some people discovered they didn't like that even. I like Jason, for example, who was part yeah. of the podcast for years and years and years and years, who, you know, may occasionally still be on, and he's definitely a, you know, a hugely important part of Exposition Street, if you ever listen to that show that we do. But um, doesn't really do much role-playing anymore, as far as I know. No. You know, you guys still do like a board game night or something with him? Yeah, because uh, I'm not there yeah. in town. I don't. I don't know what's going on. But um, yeah, I miss gaming with Jason, though. Consequentially, you know. Yeah, the hard part's going to be playing through this uh, War of the Burning Sky and remembering to keep track so that we can end it at exactly the same place as the other <laughs> two. Um, to hell with you, sir. <laughs> You don't want to break a, a theme here. Although, you know, contextually speaking, if we get to that point, wow. Because I mean, I realize that's the plan. I'm not. I'm not plan. I'm not starting the campaign with a plan of not finishing the campaign. But it is a lot, dude. Guys, I have a lot of story content ahead of you, and that's just. I mean, that's not even including the stuff that we're going to develop between us as we go. That has nothing to do with the original campaign material I'm pulling from. So wait, Jonica was in the campaign back then. Oh yeah. And if we get one episode past where she got, is that going to be a problem? Do we need to worry about that? She doesn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. She never listens to anything I say. Why would she start now? <laughs> the funny thing is, um, her character, again, longtime listeners will know, her character Jasmine uh, is assassin. You know, she, when she started the game, she was inspired by, this is about how timely this was, she was inspired by the operative character in uh, Serenity, the oh, wow. the bad guy, right? Oh, yeah, he was yeah, hunting yeah. Them, Who had this kind of philosophy that he was doing a thing that had to be done to create a better world where there would be no place for people like him. And so that's kind of what she wanted to explore, the concept of a person who, who was an assassin by nature, by trade, by skill set. Somebody who learned how to, uh, who, who learned how to kill, who learned how to, you know, manage herself through stealth. You know, um, that that was her stock and trade. And it made her kind of a dark character, of course. She was, you guys have gone through the first part of this in Gate Pass. She was, um, a, you know, a citizen in Gate Pass long since. Her parents had died uh, as resistance fighters years ago. And she blamed Regicia for all of that, you know, and uh, blamed Coltung, Emperor Coltung, who is now gone, you know, because Coltung was the former leader of Regicia now that he's presumed dead and, um, his uh his advisor has risen to the power there. Uh, it's it's just kind of a, a crazy story for her, and she was. But at heart, she had good motive. She wanted to be a good person. But how can you be a good person if you deal in death as uh, stock and trade? You know, if you don't value life that way. And she did. She valued the lives of people who deserved it. You know, who were who were being persecuted. You know, she she did not value the life of the people who were doing the persecuting. Um, but it is, in that context, kind of a politically motivated game. It is a campaign in which, although the lines of good and evil are still, I think, fairly prevalent, because the bad guys tend to be on the evil side, 
the good guys could arguably be on the not evil side. Um, at its heart, though, it is a clash of cultures. It is a clash of um, philosophies. It is a it is a story of conquest and uh, you know uh, freedom fighting. It is a dealing with an oppressor of uh, overwhelming strength and uh, banding together to overcome that and to fight against it, independence, things like that. Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of potential for that. I, I was expressing to Brian earlier when we were talking while nobody was around. Now, one of the interesting things about this and the uh, Zeitgeist campaign that I ran later, both of the big campaign um, stories that uh, Ryan Nock was responsible for, uh, there's never really an assumption that you're going to follow a specific path. These adventure material, a lot of the adventure material is laid out in a way that it has like events and hooks and such that can draw you forward. But there's also a lot of kind of things hidden in there, better in Zeitgeist because it was written later. But there's a lot of things kind of like dropped in there. They're like, well, if the PCs decide to side with the bad guys or the PCs decide to do this other thing, you can still use this adventure material maybe with this twist or, you know, to this end. Or maybe they're trying to stop this from happening instead of make this happen. So they have to conflict with another party or, you know, things like that. There's all these kind of ways that you can play it. Um, so the, the fact that you guys are in the, the adventure right now in the fire forest where you're going from point A to point D, basically literally on a road where the entire forest around you would kill you if you wander off the road. I mean, kind of as literal railroading as you can get. Um, the campaign doesn't assume railroading philosophically, and I think that's fascinating to me. Now, that being said, <laughs> likelihood is, you know, the, op- the the kind of the setup of the game, the setup of the story is such that your characters are likely inclined to lean certain directions, but how you respond to stimuli and how you deal with information as you pick it up in the game will make a lot of difference. There are things you could learn here, for example, about the history of this wood that could influence how you deal with uh, certain figures and political situations much later in the campaign. You know, I, have, I have to roll higher than two. <laughs> you and you I, would I have still, to roll higher than two. <laughs> I, I, I still feel, even even though I felt like certain choices needed to be made, I, I, have, I have felt that the choices we did make, even when going along a path we don't dare deviate from, we were still given moral choices that our characters could have went a different way for any given reason. And it's meaningful, consequentially. Uh, I like the fact that there's a section in the first chapter of this adventure that talks about inter-party conflict because it's the, the situation as it develops in this particular adventure could easily lead to that, predictably lead to that. And that it shouldn't necessarily, I have great advice to GMs, it shouldn't necessarily be squashed. You know, because this kind of conflict would be about personalities. It's about people's, you know, personal ethos emerging and potentially conflicting or seeking compromise. And you guys have already shown small signs of that. It's like, well, no, I think we should do this, or I think we should do that, or I don't, you know, I don't agree with this, or, you know, whatever, you know. There's often capitulation somewhere, somebody going, okay, well, you know, do what you got to do. Yeah, we but didn't need to pick up the bone. <laughs> I didn't realize it was a binding contract. <laughs> that way it always is. But I realize it's something that's a little inside baseball. But I I mean, and I, I don't try to avoid getting spoilery in this um, podcast again, because these adventures, I've we, we have talked into the ground on this podcast in the early years. There's not a lot of, if you listen to the show much, there's not a lot you haven't heard about at some point. Now, if you haven't listened the last few years, you haven't heard a bunch about this, so I, mean, I don't want to completely fuck it up for you, but 
Uh, good stuff. Uh, Burning Skies, good stuff. And we'll have a chance. I'll share links and stuff in the in the show notes, of course. We'll have a chance to uh, talk about it uh, some as the campaign develops. And I'm sure we'll get this group together to talk about it more. The other big change we made that's worth mentioning is when we picked this one up, we decided to try a new virtual tabletop for me, uh, not for everybody here, obviously. Uh, Richard had dabbled with it a little before. Brian had some experience with it. John has run numerous campaigns with Fantasy Grounds. And I had picked up a license at some point. That was before the Unity thing. And it, you know, things are all different now. Uh, so I went ahead and picked up a license. Uh, you know, you can get it for a monthly subscription fee. So it's not, it's not really a big deal. It used to be like the only way to get into Fantasy Grounds was being willing to shell out a fuck ton of money, you know, to do something with it as a game master. I, I mean, I think the standard license, like the regular license is like still like 70 bucks or something for like, that's that. well, that's the one where you still, everybody else has to have their own membership. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, if you want to run at that ultimate license where, you know, everybody else can just kind of log in for free and do the thing, like some, like, I think Vanessa probably doesn't actually, for example, have a license in Fantasy Grounds, do you? Nope. So, so you don't have to have a license to do what we're doing. Standard you license buy that is big one. $39 and the ultimate is 149 149 yeah. Still expensive. Yeah. Still expensive. Yeah, but if you can do the 140 then that's lifetime until they yeah, decide yeah, to yeah. do the, the next version of it with the Unreal Engine and we have to buy a whole new one. And to be fair, I, I probably will um, I probably will consider that at some point because I didn't want to jump in with a full you know license like that until so I sure. tried it. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think I think you need to once once you're sure you're going to use it for a year uh, or a year and a half, you know, however long it's going to be, then it starts to be really worth it to go ahead and invest in it. But if you I have to agree, yeah, I have to agree, uh, particularly if we're using it like we are. I mean, it's one thing to invest in it because you know, hey, this is a great product, and I could have some use for this, and let's, you know, or um, like. The first time when Richard bought into it, he was running one short adventure, um, and I don't know what license you bought at the time. But I, I was just renting, so I'm back to renting again, and I'll probably okay. end up buying it this time. Yeah, the so I mean that subscription makes it easy, just like a lot of things. You know, it's like we have. I, I mean, I pay my subscriptions to Roll Twenty still, and pay my subscriptions to D and D Beyond still, and. Uh, well, to be fair, I have to for those because I don't have the stuff to do that stuff on Fantasy Grounds, which also is a little cost prohibitive. <laughs> I appreciate you guys who talk up the whole 5e <laughs> automation and Fantasy Grounds, <laughs> which we should talk about a little bit. But um, before I let Brian just kind of roll on his on his, uh, <laughs> on his opinions of this, um, man, I, that's that's just expensive. Actually, I understand they got a sale going on right now, so like you know, if I could cough up like thirty, forty bucks, I could probably get the core books or whatever. But dude, I mean, and, and I'm not saying the uh, the other pro the other services are any better. I mean, D and D Beyond, I've already spent that money on. That's the big difference, you know. And I, I did that because you know, fandom had this really kind of, they were right in bed with wizards when they were developing D and D beyond. So everything that came out was immediately available and integrated. And so, you know, it seemed like a good, uh, good buy. And once I started with that, looking at something like even roll 20 or fantasy grounds where they, you can do the same thing, you know, buy the, the products to support their product, the license to, you know, material for D and D or whatever you're doing. <sighs> it's just pricey, guys. It's it's a lot of money. And I don't mind spending money on my hobby. I've never minded. Um, I dropped a little bit of money to run this game. And I'm glad I did while I had a job. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Not, th not that we're, you know, hurting or anything necessarily. Just, 
I probably get to slow down a little bit on impulse buys for a minute, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Funny how that works. But, uh, and unfortunately this is kind of basically impulse buying. I'd love to take advantage of this. I think the sale is for the movie, isn't it? Yeah. It's like different Dungeons and Dragons items are, uh, I think anywhere yeah. between 20 to 40, 40% off. Although they have weekly sales where they put various items, uh, on a rotating, I think 20% off every week. It's like you can even get the books on Amazon for 40% off right now. Oh, wow. Everybody's yeah. selling shit cheap, huh? Um, of course, you know, if you can, if you can, and you're looking to buy the physical media, go to your friendly local gaming store and buy it there. So, um, yeah, I, I've been very cognizant of that recently because the last couple books that came out, uh, because I live in the middle of bumfucked Egypt, I had to get from Amazon Mm -hmm. and it kind of hurt me a little bit. You know, I like supporting my local store. We were, uh, uh, very much in involved there in Wichita with the borough and, uh, you know, tried to do everything we could to support our local gaming stores. Um, I would, and I just, speaking of which, I, I really need to schedule the game day. It's been hard because, um, I'm not there. And so it's, it's impossible for me to commit somebody else. And this, a lot of the somebody else's that I might be able to, you know, drag into it. This is the busy time of year for you. So it's not like it's, just, Hey Rich, you got a weekend available? <laughs> and she's like, what's a weekend? Maybe. <laughs> You're lucky you got a Sunday, man. I mean, you, you got my day off this week. You got my day off. So, um, and and Lynn, um, if you if you've ever been to one of our game days, especially last year, she runs she's been running the game days for me. She's uh, runs the front desk at the convention for us every year and is amazing. She's I I, I would be scared to try and do the convention without her. Um, I think she's in the process of relocating. Her life is going through some changes too. And so I'm not sure what's going to happen with that because we haven't had a chance to discuss it. But I haven't been able to like I haven't been able to reach out to her and like get her try to get her to do a game day for me, you know, because she just had too much going on there. So that was one of the things that happened. And then there's the fact that I don't have a plan for TsunamiCon yet, and I know that's a ridiculous reason to delay. But I wanted to be able to make announcements by the time we had a game day, and so you keep kind of putting off the game day <laughs> and thinking it's going to work out. <sighs> I haven't talked to Derek Burroughs. I need to get in touch and kind of put some kind of plan together, but, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you can buy it from them, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, the, the, I mean the, the D and D movie, which obviously is um, a little controversial on the internet still probably less so than it was a month ago, but, um, but I, I did get a chance to see it. Um, anybody that listens to Expo street will not be surprised. I fucking loved it, but then again, eh, it's me. Uh, so (laughs) you should take that with a grain of Jason. Um, and you will, uh, you know, uh, you will find that right now everything D&D out there seems to be on sale to celebrate. So mm-hmm. that's not a bad thing to at least take advantage of if you're doing the D&D thing. True. And um, we still are in some of our some of our gaming. But uh, this one, we moved to Savage Worlds. We wanted to do, after all the OGL stuff especially, we were like, you know, we're doing a lot of D&D. Let's, let's find a way to vary up our taste a little bit. You saw the difference. So it's kind of like, you know, we, we like some savage worlds and we haven't been savaging lately. And Vanessa just kind of keeps giving me the, the evil eye every time it comes up because we haven't been doing any savaging. And she's like, what is this D&D shit you keep making me do? But, uh, you know, once an addict. Uh, and <laughs> and I take full responsibility. All your fault, man. Uh, yeah, your I, know. Fault. I know. There's more than a couple people that can say that. Uh, but uh, this conversion wasn't that bad. I mean, it's a little bit of work, like such things always are. And of course, D&D Savage Worlds kind of wonk a little bit in terms of like challenges and how you put together fights and shit. But 
doesn't yeah. really hurt story any. I was worried I was going to lose some stuff in my character because I didn't see it. But once I really got into the process, my character is definitely on solid ground and still has everything they used to do. Just not quite in the same way. And of course, the first thing we came up with that would help with that, which was a kind of a stroke of genius, was we decided instead of just going straight to Suede, we went the Pathfinder route. Because uh, some of us had pa- had back to the Pathfinder for Savage Worlds Kickstarter, so we had the basic materials. It was available on uh, Fantasy Grounds for a decent price, you know. So picked it up. It's unlike unlike D anD D, where you have to buy you know twelve manuals or something to get everything you want for your character options in Fantasy Grounds and stuff. For, for Savage Worlds, you really only ever need a couple of things. You know, if you're going to play Suede, you buy the Suede book. That that simple. Um, if you're going to do something like this, you spend a little more money and get the Savage Worlds book. And I, I think I spent a few bucks to get the adventure deck. I think that's it. The bestiary came with it, I believe. I don't know. But uh, yeah, uh, the Pathfinder port really, really helped. And the Fantasy Companion has pulled a lot from that. I was inspired by that a lot. But Pathfinder definitely was made to kind of integrate that D&D feel because it's really what it was based on anyway, obviously. We all know that. So so it even had like the edges that were based on the classes, yeah. um, all that stuff. It's really good good stuff. I, I feel like it, it gave us a, kind of a leg up in keeping the, the tone of the game on, on familiar ground for these characters since we started them as D&D characters. Translating in the middle of a, in the middle of a campaign, even early in a campaign like this, but translating somewhere in the works is always... A challenge, and you never know. I mean, and I've I've done it a few times over the years with um, editions of the same game. You know, third edition D and D came out. We eventually converted our second edition characters. You know, fourth edition D and D came out. We pretty much ignored it. Fifth edition D and D came out. We eventually converted our third edition characters. Um, yeah, it, it, it's just. <laughs> Or I think it was our Pathfinder characters at that point, actually. But that's yeah, the point is, <laughs> the point is, you know, it it was um, there for us. It, this was a little bit harder to do because D and D and Savage Worlds do not exist on the same levers. You know, they not work very differently, close. and and advancement and everything like that feels very different. And, and you know, the power system, of course, really changes up the way spells feel. But it does a really nice job. I'm really happy with it. And it, yes. it, it actually met, lets me do stuff I was trying to do with my D&D character easier. Oh, a lot of the customization and everything? Yeah. Yeah, it's really built for it. Um, I mean, I'm sure that sometimes it doesn't necessarily feel like you get as many options because how you gain access to the powers and use them is a little is a little different, no matter how you look at it. Yeah. But uh, so far, so good. Uh, but I'm enjoying the shit out of uh, Fantasy Grounds, guys. Even if I'm sitting there cursing at it profusely for parts of the game. <laughs> it gets and, Oh, my God. And today was really, really hard for some reason. It's like I kept hitting the wrong button and doing dumb shit. And then the map fiasco where for some reason in my brain I didn't realize that importing a 55 megabyte map would take an hour and fucking half to translate across the internet to everybody else. So... Fuck that noise and start over. Yeah. That was the one prepared, ser- seriously prepared encounter I had set up and ready to go to, of course. <laughs> Everything else is just kind of, we'll see if you get into a fight here. You know? <laughs> this one was, you had no choice. They were going to attack us. So. Um, and it had like the limited battlefield and all that shit. Um, so uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's more on that to talk about or if you guys have any opinions on that that you want to venture into. Um, I know that. Uh, you're, you didn't really play your characters as D&D characters for very long. The only thing that this one's really missing is I had spells in D&D. I don't really have spells anymore. But I'm still cool, so I don't care. 
Yeah, I had a I had a path built uh, around this theme, and I'm still bringing the theme to my character, and you're definitely letting me go with it, and I enjoy it greatly. Uh, but yeah, it's not hard-baked in anymore like it was uh, using the modified Drunken Master. But I'm, I'm very forgiving about um, the, the cool factor. I like characters, the players and characters getting to do things that make the character more... Uh, more fun and more accessible, you know, make them seem a little more what they want them to be without having to always work. <laughs> you know, um, like I said about finding a stick that wasn't burning in the fire forest that you could try roasting a carrot. It's like, who the fuck cares? Why would I make a point over not being able to find a stick? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> shit because like that. That is his, uh, that is the character. Yeah. And it's just, it's just for fun. It's just for fun. And yeah, then you brought up the, the you brought up the use of a power that was like, um, I don't know if I want to set a precedent here. Besides, because even though it wouldn't really hurt anything right now, <laughs> it might later. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's, let's think about this. So you, for, you didn't want to just bury that issue and worry uh, about it later. Uh, bury that issue. I find myself enjoying, you know, not having played a lot of Savage Worlds before. I find myself really enjoying uh, the combat and the exploding dice more than I thought I would. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's way it's more epic. exciting, honestly. You know, you it's can... way more exciting in um, Fantasy Grounds though than it was in Roll Twenty because you get those extra dice popping. Quickly, you get that same yeah. thrill you get at the table bit, yeah, like I when mean, you're having to re-roll over and over again. I, that it really amps the feeling. And it's one thing like to that? watch a tw- you know get a, a crit in D and D or a twenty or whatever. Whereas you know in this one, you know, it's yeah. As Rich said, you you roll the dice six, and watch it. Six, yes, six, explode and explode six, and explode five. and explode and get yes. an insane <laughs> result. And you're just like. <laughs> You're like, Forty-seven. Yeah, you're like, holy crap! <laughs> I needed a four, and, and yeah. everybody's watching it, and everybody's, everybody's cheering at the same time. That's the best part, right? It's funny how you know fighting with a, a virtual tabletop that I'm not used to can make me feel like it's breaking the immersion hard. But little things like that add a level of immersion that you can't get in other ways. Which is kind of cool. And I will say, yeah. I, I, I know it seem, sounds strange, but I feel like the dice, ro- watching those digital dice roll around on the te- desktop in Fantasy Grounds, I don't know why, but it feels very realistic. I feel like I'm watching actual dice rolling around on a tabletop. Yeah, yeah. it helps. I mean, they've done something right, obviously. The fact they've that they will hit right the, the corner and, you know, you know, <laughs> look like they're landing on an edge and then fall, fall over and you're like, ah. Yeah. Hmm. I got robbed. I got robbed yeah. by ones and zeros. And then there are times you just want to melt your digital dice. <laughs> Put them in the microwave. Fuck. I can't do it. But you can always change out dice yeah. as much as you want to, just like the real thing, right? Yep. Hmm. They need to add a dice jail feature. <laughs> Uh, so somebody got a dunce cat mod. We could <laughs> get that all rolling. Probably is one. Yeah, should be, should be. And, and there seems to be a really great community supporting it too. There is. There's a lot of very cool add-ons and stuff. A lot of which are free, and even the ones that you do have to pay for are not. You know, a couple of bucks here and there, and they can add a lot to your prep or or the game experience. I really like the way it leaves behind a bloody smear every time you kill somebody. Oh yeah, that's and I can change the character of that where it doesn't have to be bloody. It can be like ectoplasm or, <laughs> and it it 
satisfying, especially in Savage Worlds, where there tend to be battles where there's a lot of mooks just running around getting killed. A mm-hmm. really gory black battlefield is a lot of fun to see once things are over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's the other thing, too. And, I mean, this is one of those things. Like, at the tabletop, I run primarily theater of the mind. Um, in recent years, I've... I've delved more into using maps and minis because that material became so accessible to me at one point mm-hmm. that it became something I, I found a lot of joy in that I hadn't found before. But I also, I think, spent uh, time really developing my chops at running those kinds of uh, combats, those kinds of game engines that were very satisfying. You know, the, it does change the level of immersion. It does change the way it breaks against um, suspension of disbelief and the way it, it breaks you out of the game from moment to moment while you're dealing with stuff because it can be very gamey. Mm-hmm. But um, if you find the right ways to focus in you, and, and, and still maintain a lot of the theater of the mind elements that I find so attractive and so appealing as much as you can in terms of description and characterization and keeping things in the moment, it can be a little harder online because, you know, you're looking at each other through little cam, you know, images and stuff on the screen and you only have so much control over presentation and the energy you bring to it. But uh, it's still, I think it's, it's become easier. It's become more satisfying. And the online world, since you can pull maps from anywhere, you know, it's like, oh, I need a map. Let me go find it. I got 20,000 of them on my hard drive. And if one of, if one of those doesn't seem like it would immediately work, I could just go to the internet and find something. Yank yep. that fucker in there. And I, then, you know, minis and everything, t- you know, tokens. It's easy. So easy. I'll tell you one thing, though, that I learned after a lot of years of, of playing in Fantasy Grounds and working really hard on maps. That sometimes it's you can just create a new image with no background image for it and just get the grid and then start drawing. And it feels just like being back at the table with a, a just a mat and a, a dry erase marker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so there's a wall here. This is where the fire is. This, that. All right, go. And, I mean, it's that doesn't it, – it doesn't we, – we get hung up on the prep, but it doesn't have to be that way. No, I get you. Another thing I like to do in Fantasy Grounds, if we're doing something that's a theater of the mind scene – I may throw up a board like that with no intention of it having uh, um, doing anything that's really tactical with it. Just like put the monsters on the board, put the players on the board. It helps with tag targeting. It helps them just sort of visualize the the fight a little bit. Yeah. They get to see the tokens a little better. Well, even in, um, we were used to roll 20 and even in roll 20, having tokens on the map sometimes made things easier, even if you weren't doing anything with a map. So I'd have like splash screens with just art on them sometimes, but they had the tokens on them right. so that people could still target and utilize, you know, click on them when they needed to pull stuff up. Uh, it was very useful. The um, Fantasy Grounds is pretty good. There's actually a Theater of the Mind extension that you can get. It'll add a Theater of the Mind button that'll uh, kind of do what you're talking. I wonder what that means. <laughs> it, mean, it means it adds, it adds a little button called Theater of the Mind that you click and then it'll open up uh, like a separate map where you can put, put a, a backdrop on. And then you can drag and drop the tokens. It's not like a battle map, but that way you can get an idea of where everybody is. And it conveniently lets you target things uh, in the combat tracker. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. No, it's something I hadn't even thought about. And I don't know why I hadn't thought about it, because like I said, it's routine in my Roll20 games. Right. I actually have those splash pages set up for all my campaigns, and it's usually where I start. 
in my my Tuesday night game right now, we're doing a lot of dungeon crawly stuff, so it's not really an issue because we just we use the dungeon as kind of the, the maps as kind of part of every almost not every moment of play, but a lot of it. <laughs> one of but, the uh, yeah. yeah. One of the things that I that there's a lot more opportunity for players to interact with the game uh, independently in Fantasy Grounds that you don't have in something like Roll Twenty. Like I'm using in the the campaign you're running in your Fantasy Grounds, I'm using the notes feature to keep a journal of the past couple of uh, uh, saw that episodes. Yeah, I figured out today that I could actually drag the map icon in so that I can actually have a record of the map image and go back and look at the map to remember the scene. Oh, my gosh. And uh, there there are actually a couple of add ons that you can do that will do um, more stuff along those lines so that there's places dedicated for the players to track mysteries they're trying to solve or that kind of thing. That's really killer. One I've been using the shit out of in my home game is... uh, I found a standalone um, Blades in the Dark Clocks feature. So I've been using <laughs> Blades in the Dark Clocks to track all kinds of progress stuff on all kinds of things. And it's just another thing you can reference in your, your story stuff. Um, I prep box texts. It's something I can just drop into the chat as I read it so the players can yeah. see all that. All these sorts of things that... and then. That's stuff the players may be able to reference and stuff. I, if I have long descriptions of things, I make it a document that they can go back and look at again later. It's interesting. I keep forgetting about some of that. Some of those features I know about the the chat, for example, thing with the descriptions, the yeah. box text, things like that. I've got even got some of that set up because I knew I, I knew how to do it, but I keep forgetting about it. It's, um, you're just you're 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 a baby at this stuff. You'll <laughs> <laughs> well. I also, when I do presentation on stuff like that, I don't read box text mm-hmm. verbatim. You know, I do a lot of personalizing the presentation of it. And uh, so it wouldn't even occur to me, you know, because I'm sitting there you know, talking through it and interjecting my own comments and adding different details that are more personal to characters, things like that. Still no reason I couldn't do that. You know, I, it's not like it wouldn't be useful. I've been wandering back into box text after maybe more than a decade of not using it. Yeah, yeah, um, I feel you. And it's an experiment really still, but what I find is it gives me some an opportunity to make sure I mention things that I might forget if I didn't have a, a reference for it. That's fair. So That's fair. I, I Like you said, I've got a lot to learn. Um, yeah, and you, you talked about uh, offering to kind of sit down and go over some prep stuff with me and help me out with some of that. I... I'm getting there. You know, I'm picking up more tools all the time, but uh, even it's hard to even kind of go through tutorials or anything because there's a lot of that stuff out there, but not always specifically for what I'm doing. Right. Well, and I think we can help you go through the options and get your options set. Um, You know, things like when we started a map and you had to turn off the feature that forces us to have you approve our movement and stuff like that. There's a setting that you can just turn that off so that we don't have to do that every time we open So there's a couple of things we can tweak like that just to streamline things a little bit, but yeah, it's it's definitely uh, if if you if you're getting into Fantasy Grounds for the first time, the learning curve is a little steep. Um, it's not super intuitive. Now I've yet to find a virtual virtual tabletop that is, mm. in my estimation. Um, Roll twenty looks simple, so maybe it's a, it seems like an easy place to start. But when we when we got to the point where we wanted to do anything interesting with it, it still was a bear because it doesn't work in a way that always feels like it makes sense. Uh, Fantasy Grounds is that times fifty because it does so much. Right. 
you know, I, I get <laughs> caught in uh, window management hell, and uh, oh, I'm sure. There's, yeah, I, I see that. Um, Particularly when you got a map going, because <laughs> it takes up a lot of real estate. Uh, I like the feature where you can make the map your background. That that helps a lot. I've thought about that, except I usually have Fantasy Ground spread over like a couple monitors, and I'm afraid it's going to mess with it. I don't know. Also true. Yeah. I, I got to play with it. I think that's what it comes down to. A lot of a lot of just trial and error and practice, and you'll be a pro in no time. Oh, I'm sure. I, I, mean, I, think I, I really do think it's a lot harder to come from another tabletop that you're used to rather than doing it cold. That's probably true. We have a lot of frame of reference, a lot of expectations. And unlike most of the other ones that are out there, like Foundry and, and uh, Roll20, Fantasy Grounds is a very, very different mindset because it's a local client. It's not a web-based thing. And so it just operates very, very differently. Um, and that has benefits and disadvantages. I mean, it's, it's yeah. some good bad. That's how the old one I used to use did it, too. Uh, I remember it now. Roll map tools? Or? Roll. Map tools, that's map it. Map tools. We map talked about that, yeah. It was, uh, it was great for what it did at the time. Yeah. It was. It's still out there. Actually, I still use their token tool like crazy. Wait, they were good token tool? Good. Best damn thing. I really, I mean, I love that there's, it's one of the reasons we talk about on the show. I love that there's so many digital tools, even before the pandemic, uh, where it became kind of the standard by which, you know, people would measure gameplay and the experience. I really loved having, you know, an assortment of digital tools to pull from and work with all the way back to the, even the early editions of the game when they were terrible, mm -hmm. terrible digital tools on three and a half inch floppy disks, uh, you know, <laughs> Yeah, that, I, I really, uh, I, I really feel like there's, um, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff out there. There's probably no wrong or right solution for anybody, but um, I like being able to talk about it so that people might be able to get a little context if they listen, at least uh, know what we're, what we're experiencing and how we're experiencing. It. And I'm, I'm, I'm a real fan of what I'm seeing right now. Now, I've, I've yet to really, you know, try anything out and go, this sucks, guys. This just. I mean, you, we there, we occasionally made dish on uh, on Fantasy Grounds or Dog Roll Twenty, but Fantasy Grounds is still new to me. And Roll Twenty I used for like you know a thousand years, so I got plenty of experience from which to decide whether or not it does what I want it to do <laughs> in a way I want to do it. Right. And I'm still using it for some games because, like I said, I'm I'm not going to be able to spend a thousand dollars on D and D books anytime soon. Um, and still running D and D, and that's a thing. And you know that's fine. I love D and D. I've I have all most of my life, which been playing D and D for almost next year will be forty years, guys. So I mean, it's uh, it's kind of an insanely big part of my uh, my personal journey, and um, I don't see that stopping anytime soon. But this has been a great opportunity to explore fantasy grounds with another game uh, rule set that I really love. That was more affordable for me to break into. So, if you are a fan of a you know any game system other than D anD D that Fantasy Ground supports, it could be a good chance to check it out <laughs> before you invest a ton of money. Like you know, it's kind of like getting to the stock market here because um, you also don't know when it's going to implode. <laughs> I really feel like uh, this has some potential, and I'm looking forward to exploring it long term. I know there's other um, services out there. Uh, Brian's been talking a lot about Foundry lately. Because uh, he's been exploring some of that and that community stuff. I think I like Foundry. I like well, I like Fantasy Grounds. I think I think each each virtual tabletop I think has pros and cons. You know, I think Fantasy Grounds by and far I think has the best combat tracker out of you know you're talking Roll Twenty, Fantasy Grounds, or Foundry. I think it has the best combat tracker I've seen, and you know I think it 
automates the systems, the game systems that it does extremely well, better, more so than Roll20 or Foundry. Does it do maps okay? Yeah, it does them okay. Does it do it better than Roll20 and Foundry? Eh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think it does. I, it does I, them differently. You know, I mean, does it have a complete integrated map maker? Yes, it does. Does Do you need that in your virtual tabletop when tools like Dungeon Draft exist? I don't think so. <laughs> Since Dungeon Draft does a better job of making maps and, you know. I, Dungeon Draft is awesome. It is nice that it has a map maker integrated and you can edit the effects and whatnot but Mm -hmm. you know again i think i think programs like foundry kind of blow it out of the water when it comes to mapping and lighting uh but as when it comes to automation hands off not needing to remember things not needing to track things not needing to know how many hit points does that npc have do i need to make a save to roll for half damage for so and so uh oh i forgot to take into account that so and so needs to roll a concentration check all of that depending on the rule set is usually automated and handled for you so you don't have to remember and you can t- spend your time having fun instead of planning and trying to keep track of minutia no, that's a good point i i will say um for a long time because the the battle between theater of the mind and uh, miniatures and maps has been uh, a long one for me uh, at some level, you know, and I've I've kind of um, wobbled across that line quite a bit over the years. Uh, I will say that the thing that I love best about because I, I think a lot of people might find they're gravitated towards great tools with for combat automation and great tools for managing a map, uh, combat map. Because they enjoy that element of the game and they want to see them handled in a in a more efficient, a more effective way, you know, have have more freedom to do fun things with it. And like you said, not worry about the minutiae. But I find that the thing that always bothered me about it, the potentially immersion-breaking quality of running a combat map, which is still some of that's there for reasons I could get into if we want to add another half an hour to the show. But I don't think I think people have other things to do. Um, I find for the first time that I am considering the fact that maybe what I want out of it, the reason I like the idea of embracing a system that has better automation, that does a lot of this combat stuff for me, that allows you guys to handle a lot of your combat elements and uh, of character management without even me noticing what you're doing necessarily. I mean, there's still a chat log reporting it, and that's important. But the reason that's all great and the maps and everything is because it provides so many tools that allow me to focus on what makes the game immersive Mm -hmm. instead of worrying about whether or not people are immersed. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a big shift for me, a big change of thinking. And especially if we're talking about something like D&D where there's just a lot of bookkeeping, tracking hit points, Mm -hmm. Uh like that. Savage Worlds takes a lot of that off your plate, but... Um, all of the time that you're not recording hit points, you're thinking about the next thing. You're thinking about what the bad guys are going to say. You've got all that freedom. Well, and to be fair, Savage Worlds is the system that got me into wanting to use maps again anyway, because with maps and minis in a game where you don't have to track hit points, I could run entire combats at the table without tracking anything on paper. You put right. a little marker out there for a wound. You put a little marker out there for incapacitated. You put a little marker out there for when they're aiming, you know? Just all this shit could just be handled by something that you put on the map to keep track of it. it made things so easy. Yep. Uh, and I've got I've got all these little tchotchkes I've collected. There are things like you know condition rings that you like put around a mini, or uh, you know 
<laughs> I've got I've got I've got collections of orcs that look the same that I've put little nail polish colors on to keep track of them in different ways. I don't ever want to have to you know if I if I don't have to I don't want to use a piece of paper to co- to keep track of individual hit points or yeah I mean that's the thing about attrition you know D and D is a game of attrition it, it all that shit matters. Um, I love having tools that keep track of that stuff for me. I haven't gotten to do it in Fantasy Grounds where it keeps track of it for me even more than I'm used to. Right. But, I mean, that's all important to me. Whereas Savage Worlds is the game that was like, oh, wait a minute. If I'm doing this without a map, I have to do more bookkeeping. <sighs> you know, okay, fine. Bring me the maps. And then we <laughs> went, you know, digital and it's like <laughs> maps were easy. <laughs> it's like I said. All right, guys, I'm, I'm talking around in circles now. Um, I know everybody's got other things going on. I should probably let you guys get to it. I appreciate you spending a little time with me this evening after the yes. game. Good game today. Really enjoyed it. Um, I, I think that uh, the more I get to know this uh, this digital tool set, the smoother it's going to be. But um, as always, what I want to focus on more than that is the characters, You know, their, their story, um, their personal development, their interactions, the things that make the game rewarding the things that make it something more than um she shoots she scores you know i i really feel like that's important and that that's in it's so important to keep you know focused on when we are dealing with the headaches of um why isn't this doing what i want it to do right now god damn it what it is that i don't know yet is um don't don't slow down the things that uh make it that make the game matter and um our listeners will get that obviously you know i'm not saying there's anything wrong with playing a game that's she shoots she scores if that's what you love about your uh, role-playing game, you're fine. I'm not ever going to tell you you're doing it wrong. And, uh, not anymore. I did at one point in my life. <laughs> but, you know, that's not bad, wrong, fun. Bad, wrong, fun is if you literally aren't having any fun. Um, so, the, yeah, uh, you know, this is what works, uh, what's important to us and, uh, you know, what, what's important at uh, my table over the years, I think. Um, I think these tools will keep that uh, a possibility and to help enhance the gameplay over the the course of the campaign. I'm looking forward to checking it out. Well, uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate you listening to me jabber at you because, you know, I, I let you get an occasional word in edgewise. I might feel like I'm not really hosting the show. But, um, you know, good times. I'm going to go ahead and let everybody get on with their, uh, I was going to say weekend, but it's like Sunday evening now. Yeah. yeah. Later for you the guys than it is for me. But, uh, thank you so much <laughs> yeah yeah we gotta get ready for expo um exposition street this week is uh strange days i think yeah um the a week we're recording movie. this it is kind of a long movie so, you ever seen that one john yeah 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 years yeah. ago yeah well it's it's a years ago movie <laughs> uh, looking forward to seeing what the cast says on that because i got some real bugaboos on that show <laughs> i'm telling you what <laughs> uh five stars so um, yeah, come join us for that no too. Spoilers. Exposition Come street. on, man. Uh, no spoilers from me. <laughs> I'm sorry. The spoiler would be Eric may not have given it five stars, um, <laughs> which, as you pointed out, occasionally happens. Well, uh, thank you for joining us for episode number 200. I think it was 288 of uh, MetaGamers Anonymous. Once again, if you'd like to drop us a line, please do that. What's that? Too gross. Too gross. Too gross. Is that too gross? I guess it is, isn't it? Uh, should have called it that. Shit. Too late now. <laughs> <laughs> or is it? Or 12 like by 12 by 2. <laughs> 12 by 12 by um, Yeah. Uh, if you'd like to drop us a line, feedback at prismaticsunami.com. That's feedback at prismaticsunami.com. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you next time uh, for Metagamers Honest. My name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Vanessa. I'm Brian. And I'm Go See the D&D Movie John. 
I'm so down with that right now. <laughs> so down with that right now. I I told I told my wife I said you know what I don't know that we can afford a movie right now, but dear God, I've been waiting pretty much my entire fucking life for a good D and D movie. This one might be it. Go. <sighs> good night, everybody.